This is Jordan Stewart, and you're listening to Sucker Sub. Go listen. I'm Banter. Hey, this is Rob Stone from Fox Sports. You are listening to the Soccer Subs Podcast. Now pay me. Pay me in cash, boys. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for attending the Soccer Subs Podcast, the number one podcast covering soccer in New York City and all over the world. Let's give it up for Ronnie. Let's give it up for Christian. And let's give it up for you, the Soccer <laughs> Subs Podcast. The Soccer Subs Podcast. It's game on. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to the Soccer Subs Podcast, episode 30. My name is Ronnie. I am your host. Joined here by my three Soccer Subs co-hosts. Haven't said that in a while. Christian, Eric, Hugh. Fellas, how you guys doing? It's the big 3-0. We only turned 30 once. Episode 30. I can't believe we made it to episode 30. How you guys doing? Number 30. That's how old I am, and it feels pretty old. We have a new member in the house, Hugh Kane. Welcome back. Ah. Uh, <laughs> we miss you. We miss you. Uh, number 30. I think Mancini says something that uh, it's been 30 years since he lost the final, the European final against Barcelona, and he has finally found redemption. Welcome to the Soccer Subs Podcast. What a weekend did we have. I mean, Ronnie. I know you're going to talk about it, but uh, you guys can see it in the background. Argentina, after 28 years, bringing an international trophy back home. Congratulations, guys. Congratulations, Messi. We did it. I just want to one, – one other thing about 30, and maybe not to steal too much from Argentina's glory because I, I definitely want to talk about that. But in the one song that every English person couldn't turn off for the past month, there's a key line which goes – 30 years of hurt didn't stop me dreaming. Well, hopefully the next 30 years has stopped you dreaming. A proud Irishman like myself is very happy with the result of the Euro final this weekend. Thank you very much. Oh, man, the big 30, you know, uh, it only took Messi about, uh, you know, five, four finals losing, you know, to finally win one. But no, congrats to him. You know, I want to say thanks to all the fans who wished me a happy birthday. Uh, not 30 yet, but, you know. I am the Jordan, you know, 23, but, oh, man, there's so much to talk about. Not enough time. Oh, that's right. Happy belated to our boy, Eric. Yeah. And f- yes, sir. And for the soccer listeners, we have a big show for you guys today, as usual, for the big 3-0. We have a special guest joining us in a little bit. He's a former soccer player who's turned coach. He's coached on the USL side for the Real Monarchs. He is now the head coach of Real Salt Lake. We have the one and only Freddy Juarez joining us all the way from Salt Lake City, you know, via Zoom. Super excited. <laughs> Super excited for him. Oh, man, he's we have a lot to talk to with him. You know, Real Salt Lake, the team that's not talked on too much, but they have a great coach in their hands. It's definitely a team that needs more focus. And we're so glad we got a little bit of Coach Freddy's time uh, on our show. Super excited for that. He's coming up in a little bit. And fellas, since we last recorded, uh, we had a heck of a weekend, like Christian said. Argentina beating Brazil in the Copa America. They are officially the Copa America champs, beating Brazil 1-0 in Brazil. What a goal by Di Maria. We got to talk about that a little bit. But of course, Messi getting his first international trophy. Also, on the, this past weekend, Italy are you, your UEFA Euro 2020 champs, beating England 
and penalties. <laughs> oh, that's I, we we got to go. get into <laughs> we got to get into that as well. A lot of you know a lot of what ifs you know on the penalties. So that was crazy. And also since we last recorded, we talked about Sergio Ramos, but he is official official to PSG through 2023. He got his two year contract that he wanted. Super happy for Sergio Ramos. Although I'm, as a Madridista, bummed that we're losing him, but that's the game of soccer. And we have the Gold Cup officially kicking off underway. Some good teams playing. Jamaica, USA, Canada. Uh, all the Alfonso, Costa Rica. Costa Rica. No Alfonso Davies, though, for Canada. But um, Listen, don't oof. sleep on Guadalupe. I know they lost to Costa Rica. Do not sleep on Guadalupe. They are a good team. Dark Fate horse, time. baby. Bro, Fate I'll get into this later. <laughs> all right fellas well since we last recorded we got to get into these two big finals that just happened over the last weekend starting with the copa america i mean christian probably one of the happiest guys over the weekend argentina beating brazil in the copa america fellas i gotta get your takes what were your thoughts any favorite moments from that game what, did you guys think it was a good final eric man as always i start off with you man let me know what you thought of the game listen 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 um you know <laughs> I first and foremost, I want to, you know, congratulate Messi, of course, you know, he's been he's had an amazing career, uh, you know, fantastic, amazing player, arguably top three players uh, to probably every ever grace, you know, the game itself. Argentina, in my opinion, they won the trophy. Um, you know, it's funny. My my girlfriend doesn't really, you know, watch soccer, but sadly, but, you know, it's fine. It's cool. <laughs> but after the game, she was reading headlines and she was like, Messi and Argentina win the Copa America. And I don't know. She was like, oh, why are they mentioning Messi before the Argentina? Because, you know, at the end of the day, I think Argentina as a whole played amazing. I don't, I don't, I don't, look, Messi had a fantastic tournament against Ecuador, against Bolivia, against Colombia, you can say. Oh, no, he, eh, an assist. But anyways, Argentina definitely stepped up their game and it was about time. Messi really deserved this. Rodrigo de Paul. Fantastic game. Lo Celso, fantastic game. Di Maria, a fantastic game, fantastic goal. Emiliano Martinez, an amazing goalkeeper, an amazing goalkeeper. That penalty shootout against Colombia, he was the most clutch player in the, uh, you know, for the Argentina side. Uh, to the losers, listen, Neymar, take away his antics, take away the diving, take away the drama queen. Neymar is, oh, he's an amazing player. This whole Copa America, he just... Honestly, he was so consistent. Every game, he was just showed us why he's so talented, so amazing. And I think his team really let him down. He played the best football that he can, but there's only so much a player can do. Ultimately, Argentina were just the better of the two. And, you know, congratulations to Messi. Congratulations to Argentina. You deserved it. And maybe it was Diego Maradona. Maybe it was a tribute to him. Okay, so... I, as someone who really desperately wanted Brazil to win, uh, <laughs> it, it wasn't fun to watch. That said, I'm genuinely happy for, for Lionel Messi. And as much as I love to, you know, be like, ah, it doesn't count. I, I know I said this in the group chat, but my opinion on this is that, like, everyone was playing it up to be, and, and the commentators kept saying this one phrase, it's the, the final stumbling block, the final yeah, but on Messi's career. I don't think it was. I think Messi has already proven himself at the international level. I don't think winning this Copa meant anything in terms of the GOAT debate. It's a nice like adornment to it. When you get to five finals in the competition, when you get to a World Cup final, you've already done enough to prove that you can perform at the international level. That said, I think it's like it's it's I'm glad that he won it. And I'm glad he got that. A couple of things on Argentina. I think 
having a strong midfield presence like Rodrigo DePaul finally showed what Angel Di Maria can do as an attacking set, like a setup for Messi, right? Di Maria had the tournament of his life and it was in the shadow of one of the best players of all time, if not the best player of all time, right? That said, somebody really, really, really badly needs to talk with Rodrigo DePaul's barber. I don't know what is going on with that. Like, I know he wears the number seven on the back of his shirt. You don't need it cut into the side of your head. Like that, like we dropped that trend off the year I was born. We can, we don't need the number seven haircut anymore. And famous rat tail, baby. Yeah. yeah, Bring it back. (laughs) Somebody needs to talk to that man's barber. That said, he was one of the best players in the tournament. And man, was he frustrating to watch play in that final because he was drawing every foul. He was retaining the ball really well. He was using his physical presence to shield. And that said, the player of the game, the player of the final for me was still Neymar. Because I think Neymar is ball playing, like, at, with the ball at his feet, I, I honestly think, and as much as this is, like, a hot take, I genuinely think Neymar with the ball at his feet is the best player in the world right now just because of his ability to, when he doesn't want to, give, like, draw a foul, to retain the ball. If you saw him playing in, like, the, the stoppage time at the end of the final when he was trying to make those runs because he knew he couldn't get fouls to do set pieces, he was keeping the ball away from five or six defenders like it was no problem. And that's where it shows you he has the capacity to do whatever he wants with the ball when he has it. And I think... It's a shame he didn't win it. Also, the first game in Brazil's history that they've lost with Casemiro in the starting lineup, um, which is a, another strange fact. But like Eric said, Emmy Martinez also had the tournament of his life. We don't have to talk about what he said to Yerry Mina during the penalty shootout against Colombia, um, be, because that maybe isn't befitting of the best goalkeeper at the tournament. But he definitely is an amazing goalkeeper. I'm glad he's gotten his his chance really to start in the Premier League now. And I, I mean, I think he'll get big money offers. He also has a, a, a bit of a questionable celebration, which the again, again, trust. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. If I, I don't know if I can bring this up on on the podcast. But uh, you know, he, he's he's a he's a great guy. He's a great keeper, and I'm glad he got the trophy. But really, I'm glad that that Lionel Messi got the trophy and Sergio Aguero. Like those two, I'm happy got the trophy. Congratulations to Messi. Congratulations to Argentina. And especially with what happened this year with with uh, Maradona, it's something that's really important and really nice for the country that, you know, even if it you can't obviously replace Diego with a trophy. But if there's something that he would have wanted to happen this year, it would have been them winning that trophy. And I think if there's if there's any reason for you to even if you're the, the most diehard Brazil or Colombia fan out there, you should appreciate a little bit what it means to the people of Argentina to lose someone like that and then have, you know, the only man who's been able to do everything except win this, uh, win this title, win the title. I think it's something that's amazing for Argentina. And I think it's something that we should all really see as a good thing. Very nicely put. I like that. The same thing can be said with Italy because he supported Italy as well. So it's been a happy weekend for El Diego. But I think I'm going to touch on some great points. First, all much, much love to Caio, one of our own uh, from the soccer subs. Brazil is a phenomenal team, without a doubt. And Ronnie, we were watching the game together. You saw how anxious I was throughout the game because it wasn't an easy game. And going back to some of the things that Hugh said, Dibu Martinez had two amazing blocks against Richarlison. And those could have easily gone in. 
And one of them, uh, I believe one of them was an offside. And then the other one uh, was uh, from Gabigol as well, that he shot at goal and, and he was able to block that. I like to say, uh, similar to, to what Hugh was saying about the midfield, that trio with Lo Celso, Paredes, and uh, Rodrigo de Paul were just fantastic. And not only that midfield, but I think they were just collectively well-pressuring Brazil. Because one of the things that I noticed right from the beginning is that Paqueta could never receive the ball. Otamendi was on top of him, and he would find a way to get the ball, whether without uh, with or without a foul. So that was truly impressive because that was the tactical plan from Argentina. Do not let them build up. Cut the circuits because you let Brazil create from the middle and it's over. And you saw a little bit of that in the second half. I think Tite started to be more frustrated when he took out both midfielders. He took out Fred and he took out Paqueta and just started bringing Firmino, Gabi Gold. He's like, listen, we got to put some men in the box because we need to find that equalizer. But they couldn't. Argentina was just, uh, their tactical formation on the field was just superb. And I think that's what I've been seeing throughout the, the Copa America. I was telling Ronnie, look, I'm not saying that because I love Argentina, but I've been seeing them throughout. They were superior in every single game. And, in just, and it wasn't just Messi, and it wasn't Di Maria. Di Maria started the game, which finally we were waiting for that to happen. But the, collectively, Argentina be, be, uh, just went from a good team to a great team. And I think they can build from that. Are they world title contenders? Not yet. Because I think after they score that goal, it would have been a difficult time if Brazil would have tied it. I think they would have found a difficult time trying to score another one in Brazil. So maybe that's something they can continue to work. But uh, the ability to do that at the Maracanã, uh, Messi winning that first title, you know, is something that, that, that has to be truly appreciated. And especially if you're Argentina, you should be celebrating this title. So congratulations, Messi. Congratulations, Argentina. 2022, baby. We'll be there. Yeah, as for me, real quick, just a huge congratulations to Messi and Argentina for winning it. I believe it was 28 years since they last won it in 93. So, I mean, man, long overdue. And, you know, like you guys said, Messi's already cemented himself as one of the greatest. Is it great for him to have? 100%. But he's already cemented himself as, you know, one of the best. So just to give a quick uh, mention to Di Maria, Paredes, the goalie, Emiliano Martinez, his value just skyrocketed in this tournament. And I think that's the one beauty of, like, of the Copa America. You know, if you play well, the, the world's watching you. So I think Emiliano Martinez's value just went up insanely. And just to wrap it up, what a beautiful thing. You know, it's, it's the beauty of soccer. Just, you know, I, I wonder if it was his Maradona up in the sky, just really giving this, you know, giving this to Argentina. But like Christian mentioned, Argentina was superior, mainly in all their games, well-deserved. And I think it does give them a confidence boost for the World Cup. So that will be interesting. And all right, fellas, just real quick, uh, let's get into the Euros real quick. Italy beating England in penalties. What a game. I mean, a, a lot of hate towards Marcus Rashford, uh, Saka as well. Fellas, I got to get your takes on that real quick before we get to Freddy Juarez. Eric, let me go to you real quick, man. What do you think of that game? Just I was I was stuck on what you said, Ronnie, uh, about player value just increasing after these tournaments. You know, I'm thinking about even in the Euros themselves, you know, Patrick Sheik, uh, you know, Jan Sommer, you know, 
all basically every Danish player I can think of. You know, I can't Zuber. Um, you know, Gigi Donnarumma just proved himself to be honestly top three goalkeepers. It's just amazing. These after these Euros, seeing all these players, you know, all these hidden gems, Locatelli, Spinazzola, who uh, you know, unfortunately, I hope he gets better. Uh, just all these gems is getting better. But no, speaking on the game itself. I just want to give a shout out to Luke Shaw, you know, definitely revitalized his career after a career ending injury that honestly could have potentially ended anyone's career, but he just came back and he, this whole season, he's just proving his worth, uh, definitely proving all his doubt is wrong. But um, going back to the uh, Italy England game, listen, personally, I was so excited. It's always an exciting game whenever it goes down to penalties, you know, Listen, England got very, very lucky with that. I believe it was a four-minute goal they just scored in. Uh, they basically scored immediately. The problem, my problem was, is that once they scored, they played like a team like they had ten men. They, they, you know, they sat behind the the defense. You know, Italy. It, it was amazing watching them just slowly build their confidence into the game because after a while, definitely in the second half, it was all Italy. It was all Italy. It was all Chiesa. That attack, you know. Mancini, perfect. He, you know, he withdrew his attackers, which I find strange. You know, normally a coach, you know, these attackers, you, you know, do you want to go to your bench? Do you want to replace your whole entire front line? He did that. He brought in Benedeschi. He brought in Belotti. He brought in Berardi. He brought all of these players. And I'm like, wow, you know, Italy is definitely going to get that second goal. It didn't happen. It went down to penalties. Penalties. Oh my goodness. I was, I was shaking. I'm like, okay, penalties. It's, it's a, you know, it's a Russian roulette. Anybody can go for it. Italy fully deserved it, in my opinion. I, I think, you know, it was just for once, the penalty shootout. Italy, pretty better. I think they were the deserving team. My problem here is this sport should not see any type of racism. I do not condone it. I do not support it. I honestly, listen, anybody who's, who is racist, anybody who does those chants, I'm speaking about in general for every fan. I'm talking about Mexico. I'm talking about, you know, all the England fans, everything, all of that. I want it abolished in soccer because it should not exist in this beautiful game. Saka, Sancho, Rashford, all three of you are amazing players. And I honestly wish this hate would not go directed towards you because you all are amazing players and you're definitely England's future. My problem here is Saka is 19 years of age. I don't care if the kid wants to score the penalty. I do not give him that such a heavy burden goal. You have Jack Graylish. You have Jordan Henderson. You have Luke Shaw. You have... All these older players with so much more experience who have who should have level heads to score the final penalty. What happens? You have a 19-year-old step up and take the, the last shot. Listen, I had to eat my own words, to be honest, at the end of the, at the, end of the Euros. Um, I think England did a fantastic job. They made it to the final. I just, you know, I just wish the outcome was different for some of these players. But ultimately, a very entertaining final. And, you know, I look forward to what these teams have to do in the future. I'm looking forward to World Cup 2022. Very well said, Eric, man. I love the no, no racism part. So our boy Hugh, welcome back. What do you think of that Italy-England game? Yeah, like Eric said, for someone who knows a lot about missing penalties in, in the last shot of a shootout, Gareth Southgate should make a little bit of a better decision when he's selecting his five. But but Southgate's substitution tactics are are generally bad. And also he brings on he brings on substitutes too late and he brings on substitutes in positions where he doesn't necessarily need them. Then he brings on two substitutes at the end of the game getting ready for penalties, right? He brings on two players to take penalties. Rashford was brought on just to take a penalty. That is not a smart decision. Like, I, you know, Garrett Southgate obviously knows a lot more about the game than I do. Why would you bring on an attacker just to take a penalty? Especially when, like, 
all of the pressure for his entire performance that game. And really the Euros is going to be evaluated on that one penalty. That's like that psychologically, that doesn't seem like a good idea. That said, you know, obviously it, you know, obviously people are going to be like, Oh, well, they should have scored their penalties. Yes. But you know, Players miss penalties all the time. The probability of a player missing a penalty is almost not up anywhere to how how they are as a player. It's almost completely a random probability. And none of their penalties were particularly bad, right? Like, obviously, Rashford misses the target. Sockets is a little bit of a, of a, like a middler. And Jaden Sancho's isn't perfectly in the corner either. But Italy got away with those penalties, right? It just so happened that Donnarumma read them correctly. Like they, you can't put the blame on Saka, Rashford, and Jaden Sancho just because they happened to miss penalties that the other side ends up getting away with. Anyone who puts blame on the players themselves in the penalty shootout, especially the 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 shooters, you you can't fully blame it on them. You also you, you can mainly blame it on on Garrett Southgate, and and if you're gonna blame it on anyone, it. It, and and this like sounds terrible, but it really should be the keepers who have because the keepers are the ones who it's their job to try to guess and read. I mean, that's a it's almost impossible to guess where a penalty is going. But, you know, the, the keepers are, are under more uh, under more like capacity to save a penalty, whereas the attackers, it's a little bit of luck. That said, I think everybody, everybody should be happy that Italy won the final, given how the England fans treated the Italian fans and everyone around Wembley Stadium in the upcoming like hours to that game. And and this this is why this is why I made a joke about England having 30 more years of hurt. Because like you guys, you guys want to be, or well, I say you guys, that's not fair. It, because I'm I'm not addressing this to England fans specifically, but as a as a generality, England wants to be seen as like oh you know the the hopeful story, the country that invented the game of soccer, spent so long without getting a trophy, you know like it's so hard to be an England fan, and then they go and do stuff like this, and they beat up like Italian kids, and and there's there's like rampant racism following players missing penalties, and the you know you can't be taken seriously as a nation who is the people's favorite when you do things like that, when your fans are, are terrible people, like not every England fan is a bad person. I I'm friends with a bunch of people who are England fans and are perfectly normal people, but you can't be a Cinderella story team when you're like half of your fan base, like act really, really, really awfully to other fans. And you know, from a completely neutral point of view, because I didn't particularly love the Italian team either uh, during during the Euros, mostly because of Ciro Mobley's antics in the game against Belgium. But, you know, I had almost equal dislike for both teams going into the final, just the teams. But like the way that the fans behave themselves is, is what made me really want Italy to win. Because I was like, realistically speaking, all of these England players are going to have another chance. Whereas, you know, Cellini and Benucci won't have another chance, another chance. So I can get away with supporting Italy just based on the fans. And I really felt like I had to, because the England fans were, were really horrible. And I think it's one of the things that will get pushed under the rug a little bit. If it's not talked about that, you can't, 
consider yourself a fan of the game if you're not going to respect other fans of the game, if you're not going to respect your own players, the other team's players, the people who travel hundreds of miles to watch their team play in your team stadium, you know, like songs and chants. Those are like any, any, anything that sort of pokes a little bit of fun at the other team. You know, that's normal fan behavior. I've gone to plenty of NYCFC games where, you know, we've, we've trash talked the Red Bulls into oblivion, but you know, when it gets to a real sort of personal attack on on those fans and on the people who are just trying to watch the beautiful game, that's where it's not, you know, it's not fun anymore. It's not football anymore. It's its, its own breed of stupidity. And I think taking away from the game, England really, really, really did not deserve that win because of the fact that you can't act like that as a fan base. Like it's, it's not acceptable. You can't act like that. And you know, if, if you want neutrals to think your country's an underdog story, you need to be a better fan base and you need to treat your own players better, but more importantly, treat everyone else who comes to visit your country to watch their team play, to watch their team play in a final, you need to treat them better. Yeah. I think you, make a really good point in, in regards to all of that right the societal aspect is to you know we can be fans we can cheer for our teams uh but the respect has to be there so i definitely i do agree with those points a little bit about more on the game i think uh you know even mancini was a little bit unfair with what he said he said like the only 15 the first 15 minutes is where uh, england took control of the game i think the whole first half was controlled by england and i'm not saying that even del piero said it in the halftime uh halftime show yeah he, he literally said italy needed to play with brains so when he tells you that it's not because they were stupid they weren't saying that they were just saying that they have to be cool they have to be uh thinking more aggressively and pushing the lines so and feel more confident and they did they did um but the first half from england was just superb that first goal from luke shaw i mean he's shown the quality like you said eric uh, shown uh, shown it throughout the tournament uh, but also because that three man line uh and then having walker and having uh, uh luke shaw as a plane as a midfielder kind of pushes teams forward and have people in the box and that trippier cross was just perfect and they kept dominating because Kane, uh, Harry Kane was the main guy, the pivot that's able to direct the balls, switch orientations, and they were creating a lot of attack, something we did not see on the second half because, yeah, that's that's part of Southgate's fault. He switched the, the, the back line from a three to a four, and he said it himself. I can't. When they brought in a false number nine, you had to watch out whether they're whether you have to go forward so you can intercept the ball, or the defender has to go backwards and just wait, which creates more overload in the midfield. And I completely agree. But he should have kept his same uh, format just with different players, and that's something that we might ask a coach about because I think the the formation worked. It's just that. Perhaps they needed some fresh legs, some people with creativity. I think Mount lacked that creativity that we saw on the European, uh, on the on the Chelsea final, but we didn't see it here. So everything has to be taken in consideration when you're playing this game. And I think they just, uh, you know, they just lacked that intensity that they had on the first 45 minutes. Um, and the uh, and the extra time, I just uh, I just have to stick with 
England tried to attack more, but Italy just looked more dangerous with less attack because the counter, there was just, I was just waiting for that moment where Italy was going to finish them off. And that's when Mancini was right because they could have had the time, uh, they could have had the chance to finish them in extra time. And, uh, and lastly, in the penalties, I think this, we had a conversation with Eric when Spain was playing Italy. And we, like he told me, Eric was like, look, if this goes to penalties, it's over for Spain. And I agree with him because Donnarumma is just, like he's shown himself, cold-blooded. He just reads the players very well. And I think he did a, he had a fantastic, uh, yeah, ice cold, ice cold, uh, uh, eyes in his veins and and I think Italy at the end of the day is a well-deserved champions the celebration in Astoria was great people were loving it uh, hey man I can't wait the, supposedly we're gonna have European and South American uh, game in uh, Napoli in Naples uh, so it's it's called the Diego Maradona Cup man We'd love to have the soccer subs there, man. I don't know if this is going to be for next year, but uh, a well-deserved champions this weekend. And I'm just going to go back to episode two where our guy Christian Vieri proudly said Roberto Mancini is the man for the job. And in the last episode, I went with Italy. So I'm just going to give a huge congrats to Italy. Very well-deserved. They found a way to win throughout all their games. It was just a superb performance, a beautiful Cinderella story. You know, they missed the last World Cup. They come back. They're definitely a team to watch. Donnarumma's value, like Eric was just saying, his his value just skyrocketed. Could this have been the last year for Bonucci and Cellini? We'll probably see, but very well-deserved. And Cellini made me laugh the other day where he said something along the lines that he knows Bonucci better than he knows his wife. <laughs> So to me, you know, these guys, these guys are a duo that have been playing together for so long. And I think, you know, it just makes me so happy to see these old veterans finally get their moment. And uh, Alessandro Del Piero rooting for Italy along the way. Thankfully, got to see him at uh, in Los Angeles. And I quickly just had a quick chat with him. And I just mentioned, hey, man, I think I have a good feeling about Italy, Roberto Mancini. And he smiled at me and, you know, watching him on ESPN. What a treat. And man, we're just very well deserved. And I'll just quickly say the whole first half definitely was all England, 100%. I think Italy turned it on in the second half. The whole second half was straight up Italy. But again, they just found a way to win. Beautiful game. Well deserved. Can't wait to see them in the World Cup. See what they do. Can't wait to see Argentina. I want to see all the teams that, that did it make, you know, I want to see what Belgium can bring, bring in. Portugal's going to come in hot again, you know, so it's going to be a good, good world cup coming up next year. So, oh man, as a soccer fan, as a neutral, you know, can't wait to see what comes up. So, all right, guys. Well, thank you so much for your insight. We got to get to our special guest, head coach, Freddie Juarez of Real Salt Lake. Oh man, what a great coach. He's also coach on the USL side for the Real Monarchs. And yeah, super excited to get to talk to him about his career, his journey, his ups and downs, the academy, just an all-around great coach. And Real Salt Lake is a team that needs to get more on the radar. And uh, so Coach Freddy Juarez is coming up next. Let's go. All right, soccer fans, we have a big guest joining the show today. He's a former soccer player who's played for the El Paso Patriots and the Minnesota Thunder. He's coached the USL side, the Real Monarchs, and is an assistant coach for Real Salt Lake. We simply know him now as the head coach of the MLS's Real Salt Lake's team. It's a true pleasure to have him on the show. Let's please give a warm welcome to Coach Freddie Juarez to the show. Hello, Coach. <laughs> hey, <laughs> Coach, thank you so much for being on with us. A true pleasure, like we said. It's an honor. 
thank you so much for being on with us. And I guess, you know, first things first from all of us, how are you? How's the international break been for you? And it's been a crazy MLS season so far. Just wanted to get your takes on how the MLS season has been for you so far. Well, first, thank you guys for, for having me. Second, I think you forgot an important part in that I was with the Academy. Um, and I take a lot of pride in being at the Real Salt Lake Academy and helped uh, Greg Vanny, Mike Munoz, Mike Robosca, um, coaches that moved on. And Mike Robosca and, and Vanny are at LA Galaxy now. Um, and Mike Munoz is a Toronto FC two coach, all guys that we, we helped uh, start the academy, first MLS residential academy in, in MLS, which we take a lot of pride in because we, we've developed some pretty good players. But um, yeah, no, it's, uh, it's been exciting. It's a very competitive first six, seven, eight games. I mean, every game, and I, and I say it here over and over, and you know, maybe it's the same everywhere else, but I feel like every game in, in, the, in this league is so tight. It's anyone can beat anyone. It's you know, I, I, you know, past six, seven years ago, you could probably say, ah, those points you're going to win at home and those points you're going to do this. And, you know, but you can't now you can't, I mean, you saw us go on the road and get a win in a tie. And then we come home to four games and we get a loss in, 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 and then a, a win and in two ties. Like it's, it's those wins do not come easy. They're, they're hard. Every, every team spends money. Now, every team is trying to get better. Every, every coach in this league has, gotten better and grown and so you see the league growing and it's but it's it's exciting it's exciting to play for example our first six games we played san jose who's totally different from minnesota who's totally different from skc um that's totally different style of play from nashville like all different tactical plans that you have to come up with because it's not it's not like where i, I would say maybe like like mexico you're gonna aside from like four teams i think the rest of the teams play very similar or if you're looking at the Spanish league, aside from four or five teams, it's very similar. Is this league is very every each team is 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 pretty different from the other team. One hundred percent, coach. I mean, we definitely know we've talked to other coaches, other teams, and every game is a grind. Every game is not a guaranteed, and you you got to fight for those points. So we totally understand. And coach, we just kind of wanted to open it up. I guess our our first real question for you. Um, and this is something we didn't see too much on. You know, when looking up the articles, is just really how did you pick up the game of soccer? You know, we saw you were born in New Mexico, and just kind of how influential were your parents? How was your upbringing? We just kind of want to get a sense of how you picked up the game. Yeah, parents uh, from Ciudad, well, living in Ciudad Juarez. My dad likes to joke around that I was made in Juarez and born in El Paso, and I was raised in Las Cruces, New Mexico. So, you know, parents that migrated, immigrants that worked the fields and, and, and you know, cleaned houses and offices their whole life. And, and my dad was, a, you know, he's from, from Chihuahua, which is the north of, of Mexico, and baseball is the thing there. You know, you're playing baseball, you're playing basketball, and his was baseball and we, we grew up kind of hitting the ball with him when we were young in baseball. And we just, our first house or apartment that we moved into when we came to the States was a cross of an elementary school. And my two older brothers and I would always, you know, I'd tag along and follow him. And we'd just be, you know, like kids outside in the, in that playground. Like that was the area that you'd go play. And I remember, uh, which would probably be strange now, but there was a gentleman and his son cruising by and they, he stopped and asked my brothers if they wanted to play soccer. Uh, and where and, and and if he could go and talk to our parents and that's that's how kind of we just fell into soccer I had never kicked a soccer ball none of that and my two brothers are like yeah we'll, we'll, we'll we'd like to play so they went to our house we told him he he coached the team up the field that trained twice a week and if they would be interested they, they seemed just the right age as his son and he wanted he was missing players and needed players and and for about two three years I tagged along with my brothers um they're they're 
five years and four years older than me. So I was probably around at that time, five. Um, they were nine and eight and, uh, or sorry, 10 and eight, uh, 10 and nine. And they picked up soccer and I just tagged along for a couple of years until I got on the team and I fell in love with the sport. Started playing at, at nine years old, fell in love with the sport and never played another sport in my life. Knew what I wanted to do, was going to push to try to get where I could, as far as I could. And during that time, uh, we met a family, uh, the Laras, that they, they were like coaches, but also, you know, you have to go to the Hispanic teams. You got to go pick up everyone and pay for them to get to to tournaments and they really took us and a lot of us under their wing and we kind of went from there became competitive soccer players and got into coaching and every time I was playing in the USL to make extra money on, in, in during the league and offseason you had to coach you had to run camps during the season and then go back home or stay in there and coach teams and I fell in love with it it, it was a passion I like coaching I like developing and this is where I am right now from from that because um, it wasn't something I had planned I didn't say I want to be a MLS coach I want to be a Mexican league first like that wasn't a plan so what I knew I liked coaching was kids and I liked and I felt like we were we did a pretty good job because we had pushed some guys to national team from a small city that I come from is is crazy Edgar Castillo is one of those that made it to a far you know level and playing in Mexico playing for the U.S. playing and on the Mexican national team I think one of two players that's ever done that um and there I'm here now. Uh, and just luckily that I landed at RSL where they, they like to promote from within and sometimes at the right place at the right time. Unbelievable story. Thanks for sharing that coach. And coach Freddie speaking on development. And I, I love that you spoke with a passion because when you were working your first year as a coach with the new Mexico strikers, you have mentioned that you couldn't select players because of the region of where the uh, team was situated. Uh, so you had to develop them. And, and I think that's the essence of coaching. So I wanted to ask you during that time with the youth level, uh, what were some areas that you prioritized and, and the tactical information that made the most impact to those young players? Shoot, not looking back. I mean, there was a couple of things, you know, a lot of us, weren't educated as far as let's go to a, a, a school in those early, you know, let's go get diplomas. How do you develop? I didn't know that stuff. I was using, I was using a couple of things. My experience as playing. So the coach that I was coaching me, what I liked, the coach that I had in my youth career, what I liked, I was using that as experience exercise that I had picked up that I liked. Boom. Okay. I was offering that. I was huge on my brother was a, a pretty good coach and was getting paid for it and all that in club soccer. And I would, I would, use him as a resource. Uh, I used the IX videotapes as a huge resource, those Corver, those first Corver exercises, world-class coaching as a resource. I loved getting it in, you know, when it come monthly, opening it up, all oh, Chicago fires doing this, IX is doing this. Like those are all things that I pride myself when I tell my story that, yeah, I use those resources. Like I wasn't educated. That was my education. Um, that, you know, whatever I could pick up from anyone, I was going to do it. I wasn't going to say this was an exercise that I came up with. There's some I did, and there's a lot that I copied off someone and then added my own twist to it and used it for what I wanted to get across. And then I, but I think now looking at it, I think in this stage in life, when you get to this, you, you, you become, you fall in love with the game and you love coaching and you get here and it becomes a managing part and you got to really manage and this and that. And Okay, but if I go back and think about it, that was actually one of my biggest strengths when I thought, I think now it's a weakness. Like you, you, you kind of get back to management. What I mean by that is those teams that I coached were all, we weren't a big city. It was a city of 75,000 kids. 
in a league of 3,000 kids. So when I say we had to develop, we did because when you got to U14, U15, there was no more other team. Like you had to go to El Paso, you had to go to Phoenix, you had to go to where to compete against other teams. But you learn to manage those kids as friends. Like you had to give everything for them so they can continue from U12 to U19 with you. So the, a bond was really like you developed a close, close bond, getting them out of school, picking them up to take to, to practice. They probably had more than likely traveled with you, stayed in the hotel with you. like, that was managing now that I think back. That was managing. You were, you were growing. You were being a, a mentor to all these kids so that they could push through seven, eight years of you listening to your voice over and over and over and over. So I didn't think about it as, as like that then. I thought I was just putting in great exercises and we were doing excellent. But the, the truth is there was a bond in, in, in personal development that now I think is the biggest part of the job. Like you have to get a bond with the guys. You have to learn how to manage the guys, talk to the guys because because you're, you're dealing with 30 grown men that all want to play on the weekend and, and you can't. But in, in, uh, I'm learning to understand that that was a big part of my development when I didn't think it was. I thought it was just about coaching back then. Oh, wow, coach. Uh, this is a lot of to process. Um, you know, I'm not sure about Ronnie and Christian, but I, I can definitely tell the passion you have in coaching. And, you know, obviously coaching, you know, it's always a learning process and it's going to have its ups and downs. But, you know, I'm curious. Most people are always going to remember the, the, you know, the, the lower points, but it's always like what's remembered is the how you bounce back from these points. So I'm curious when you have a struggling season, what type of adjustments do you do perhaps coaching wise, player wise, you know, even like motivating your players to like push past their limit for the next season coming forward? Yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's the million dollar question, brother. I think there's some guys like, so me aside, I, I, I reflected, was I good enough? No. In what aspects wasn't I good enough? Managing the conversations that I was having with guys. I wasn't like avoiding questions or avoiding conversations with guys. I just didn't have the experience of having guys understanding. Like I come from an era that I remember some, some, some quick names like Tita Quiroz was a coach, a Brazilian coach that played in, in Mexico. Leon was golden boot. He coached me in El Paso. I had another guy, Carlos Bracamontes, who promoted some teams in, in Mexico and guys like, I played for 10 years out of those 10 years. I think I had six different coaches. So obviously I didn't win a lot because I had to get different coaches, but there was experience. And what I knew is if a coach told me I was playing, I was going to play. If he told me I wasn't going to play, I was like, we weren't used to conversations. So I didn't, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't have the experience of, you know, the, Oh shoot. Now I got to let this guy why he's not playing. And dude, you're not going to play because whether he liked it or not, you have to have that conversation and they're hard. Because sometimes they don't re, they don't uh, respond the way you want them. Not all players are going to be like, okay, cool, coach. I'm not playing. I'm going to work hard. The majority are probably like, God dang it, you know. And, and it takes them a couple of days to, for them to respond positive. So when I look back at last year at a season where we didn't give the fans what they want, we didn't achieve what we would like. That was number one for me, that I didn't do well. Another thing I think is, and this isn't against, and I, and I have been in this conversation because. It was, a, it was a different staff, a good staff that I was working with before, but it wasn't my staff. Like, it wasn't the people that they click of how I, my mentality is. It was guys that I worked with under another coach. So we were another coach's staff that I kept on because we, from what happened in 2019, and we kept on. And, you know, we settled the, the shores, if you want to say, and, and 
navigated through that season and had some success at the end of the year. And so when you do that, you're like, okay, this is a staff that I'm going to stay with, but it wasn't my staff. And I, I felt that last year, good people, hard workers. It, it takes none of that, but it's not what I want to be with every day. As far as mentality, like when you're going to go through this, there's going to be a lot of downs, a lot of criticism, a lot of all that. So you want to be with the people, you know, are going to deal with it the best way that you like to deal with it. Meaning I like positivity. I'm a calm guy. You know, I need guys around me that are very similar and, and challenge you in, in areas and they have strengths and weaknesses that I don't have and vice versa. But overall, I wanted a better environment that suited me. And so I've reflected now on that. What else can I get better? Staff. I thought we lacked when things get tough, you need people that understand, look, relax. Don't put more pressure on the guys. Don't put more pressure on yourself because there's already a lot of pressures. You know, the, we end up with getting fired as soon as the, the results aren't right. So we can't make this job horrible. It's still got to be fun. We still got to love it. We still got to come to work. And I made that a priority. That was all within me before even changing, thinking about players. And then the staff guys that I brought in, I'm like, guys, we're Real Salt Lake. We don't have an owner. We develop players. We're going to be asked to play young players in moments, push through guys. I don't want coaches with excuses of saying, we don't have Carlos Vela. We don't. So what I need is coaches that believe that we can develop and squeeze a percent, 2%, 3% of every single player to get better so then we can then produce just a little bit more on the field. With that, can we be more positive and actually start a culture? And, and, and you hear culture everywhere. So my culture thought process was more positivity, more believe in a group, be unselfish. We are here, every staff member, we are here to serve. Every day we're here to serve the player. Our job is we come to make the job better for the player every single day. That's what we come to do. It's, I have to think about what they're going to eat for the player. I have to think about what time the best training session is for the player. I have to think about what, what uh, they want to travel for. Like everything we do is for the player and we cannot hate that. That's, that's what we're here for to get the best out of them. So they respond on the field. And so that, that's, that, that was the culture that I wanted to build that everyone that came in was positivity and you, you were ready to serve the club and serve the players. And, you know, that's why Pablo Mastroianni is here. That's why Ignacio Hernandez is here. I know Ignacio from the academy days. I know exactly. Like, he's the guy that goes and hugs all the guys, and he says dumb stuff so the guys can laugh and feel good, and not he's not afraid to get made fun of or be laughed at. Like, I can be the joke of the day if it makes the crowd look, you know, feel better. And that that's the type of people that I wanted, that we're going to be selfless, work hard, serve everybody, and work extremely hard for what we love doing and so far, that's, that's what we have. And every day, guys are here till 5 o'clock, 6 o'clock, and goes like this because you enjoy coming in. Whether you lost or, or tied or won in the weekend, it's the same thing. That is absolutely an amazing mindset because it's contagious, right? And it, I think a lot about positivity. And if everyone's on the same page, I think things are, are done easier. Coach, one of the things that I wanted to focus on is um, – I guess, model of play. And please correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, we saw a clip uh, in a Real Salt Lake preseason video in which you were breaking down Man City's high pressure against West Ham United. Please correct me if I'm wrong. I, I don't know if it's true or not. I, I, I don't know if they were just showing that, uh, but I wanted to ask you, do you relate to that model? Uh, if so, what do you like about it? 
And if not, what is the structure that you uh, would like your players to re replicate on the field? I don't, I don't, I remember showing a clip and I think what we, what we tend to do is, so I have my game model, game principles out of that model and we show ourselves doing it. If we did that principle, right. If we can't get enough of those then we show the highest level doing it. So the, what you might've caught was um, man city, probably doing a principle of what I wanted to show the guys of what that principle looks like. Do what I like the game model of man city. 100%. That's my ideal style of play. Am I Pep Guardiola and have his capabilities? No, 100%. And I say that with total confidence. That guy is a different level. And I don't know about anyone else in MLS. I will not compare myself to that guy. That guy's over and beyond. Um, and then and I would say the same with players. We don't have the players that Man City have. So we like to do some and replicate some. And not because I'm copying Man City. That's, I'm five foot five when I played. I was quick. I could pass. Um, and we wanted teams that I, I liked having the ball and pass the ball. Um, so that's my passion. That's how I fell in love with the ball. When we look at my, my game model, ideally, I would like to build with a, with three. And that three can be constructed with an outside back or another six dropping, two pivots, and then four between the midfield line that, that occupy width, half space, and a nine. Organically, our, the center mids that we have don't necessarily, they, they want to be more fluid. Last year, we were very structured. It was a left back and our two center backs building almost every time in that same structure. And so what I liked was a 3-2 build, but it also helped us press and deal with counterattacks quickly uh, and, and with numbers. But the players felt it was too structured. So I get it. I get it. So what I, I give it a little more fluidity this year, still like to it's either a three, two or a two, three, and still want to get the four and the one between the lines in front of the back line. That would be ideal for me. Play forward first. If it's not on pass to create, you pass to create opportunity to go forward. You can't go forward, pass again to create opportunity to go forward. And then it's, it's not me that it's the modern day. You have to press after you lose it. You just have to, because transitions are so fast in soccer now that you have to. So it's not me saying, I love to counter press. It's just you have to do it and be okay at it. If not, you're going to always be chasing back on the on the counterattack all the time. And then offensively, it's the same thing. You got to try to go forward on your first opportunity when you recover the ball defensively. You got to go try to go forward on your first opportunity because the opponent is going to press you. Um, so those are all all things that the modern game is asking for. So you got to adapt to it. But for me, I do love the possession style, and I do want to secure myself with a good base. If we lose a possession of the ball that we can deal with with the counterattack from the opponent. And then we defend in a 4-4-2. I think it's it's not Atletico Madrid. I wish we could defend like that, and that's the goal that we try to build on. But I think it's the most well-balanced block in defending in, in the game of soccer, of how you can defend with and how you can defend interior spaces. So sometimes that doesn't let you be very aggressive on the press. But you can do, you can do a high block. And you can pick moments, but it's not as aggressive as a 4-3-3 where you can quickly go with three. But I'll be honest, I don't feel confident enough to coach a 4-3-3 because I, I, that's not my style. You know, there's some coaches that, oh, I'll switch from game to game. I, I know what I'm good at and I know what I like and how my teams are. Some games will decide we might have to do something more tactical or strategy. But the principles and the structure, I'd like to keep the same because that's what I see in my head. I, 
I'm not a guy that can switch a, a, a formation on you from game to game because I, it's, if I don't have all the knowledge in my head, I can't put my, my players through it and give them half the information. Oh yeah, for sure. Wow. I'm, I kind of want to be a head coach now. Hey, you know, <laughs> no, no, no. Um, listen, you, wanna be, you don't want to be a head coach, brother. <laughs> the first assistant's the best job in football. 100%. <laughs> Look, international, when international break comes, I think of like, you know, the fans coach perspective and everything, you know, coaches are like dreading that their players may get injured while, you know, to some others, you can think about things you could do better, um, you know, club wise. So I'm curious, prior to the international break, I, I saw an interesting stat line that um, Real Salt Lake tends to concede some goals like late minutes. I'm curious now that you have like this small break, you know, is it, are you uh, thinking of some adjustments or, you know, anything in regards to, you know, dealing with that problem solution? Yes. Yes. So there's a lot of things that, that we thought us, the first thing I thought was let's give our guys a break. And I'll tell you why, Eric, they, they, we, we didn't have the season that we'd like, right. We didn't make the playoffs, but the guys started coming in before the new year to do running, to do gym, and not like two guys or three guys. I hadn't seen this before. We're talking about like eight guys, nine guys. And then guys started saying like, man, can we add the ball? And I was like, well, I can't coach you. Like, but we'll have the balls out there and the cones out there for you guys. And so then they, they started coming, took a little break for the new year, and then came right back after the new year. And so when this came, it was like, we got to give them five days off. Like they need off mentally, physically. This gives them enough time to leave, all that stuff. So that was the big, the first number one thing. Number two, you do start looking at things that we want to get better. That one is a stat that I've seen floating around and it's, it's, it's stat or no stat. It's happening, right? We've, we've conceded late. So there's some things that we'll work on. Like even if, even as simple as if we play a 77, we can do, okay, you're up a goal and you're trying to catch, you're losing. So you're trying to catch, see if they can keep and not concede and maybe even go up the two zero and see if this team can push. So we're, we're, we acknowledge it. We're not naive. There's, it's definitely something I think we've, we've, on the other hand, we've scored goals in the first half and done a good job of it. So we, all that, we're always trying to get better. And so we, we look at all that and, and we definitely work on it, but I also don't believe it's like, Oh, we got to guys, we are horrible. We every 15 minutes all here, because then you start putting doubt in teams, you know, and, and, and it's, it's not the case. I think they've been little things like, Okay, we conceded in the last 15 minutes in this game, we tied 1-1. But it was a goal that went off a guy's back and went in. You know, so it's not like, oh, shoot, they were shooting. And it was one shot that they had on target all game, and it ended up being the goal. So it's not like they're bombarding us with shot after shot after shot after shot, and we just don't know how to defend. And, Freddie, you don't make the subs because your guys look tired. It was a flu goal. Like, you know, so, yes, that goal came happened to come in that minute, but it also was a flu goal. So, it's you can't like just jump to conclusion and say we're 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 dead after in the last 15 minutes. Someone's been a little unlucky, and that's that's the game. We also had an amazing goal from Rubio that you could say luck too. Probably not luck because we've seen him do it, but those goals don't happen all the time either. And that was the one you know. So goals you concede some goals that you shouldn't, and you also score some goals that you shouldn't. And hey, coach, um, one question for me was, and I'm glad you mentioned it in the beginning, you know, definitely take pride in, in how you were an academy coach first. Um, we recently had on a Philadelphia head coach, uh, Jim Curtin with us, and he mentioned something, I, I don't, I don't want to quote him exactly, but he said something along the lines of, you know, um, when he was given the opportunity to be head coach from coaching academy, 
he wasn't ready. And he kind of mentioned something along the lines like you're never ready to be a head coach. Now you're presented the opportunity and you obviously want to take it and you can kind of prepare all you want. Like say you're, say you're going out to space, you can prepare, do all the simulations on earth, but you're never ready to go out to space. So I wanted to ask you coming from the Academy and going to, you know, taking the uh, head coach position, uh, would you relate to something like that? And also how was that first year for you, you know, being the head coach for Real Salt Lake? I feel the same way that he feels and felt. I wasn't ready. For, I wasn't ready for the academy to the monarchs and monarchs to hear. Like, in 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 some aspects, I was in training sessions and all that, and ideas that I want. Yes, in implementing and knowing exactly who you are, I think you don't get it as until you experience the stuff. And then the managing part. I thought, okay, every player is a different player. There's more ego in the Monarchs than was at the Academy, and there's more ego now than there was uh, at Monarch. So I wasn't ready for all that. And I'm still not. I'm still, like, I think I'm better this year than I was last year in that aspect. I'm still not, I don't think, where I'm supposed to. Uh, Tuca Ferretti said something a while back, like, you're not a, a true pro till you play 100 games. And I would almost say probably the same as a coach. Like, if, if you probably need 100 or some games at this level to really figure out and find the rhythm of like a Bruce arena, for example, like, I don't know if he's a tactician or not, I, but the managing and the sense of a game, you know, it's a high level because he's seen it all right. Nothing that he sees is new to him. He knows when to keep attacking on a team because he has rhythm. He knows when, Oh shoot, they're coming at us. I probably should make a, a sub. Like I'm gaining that experience right now. I hope, and this is what every coach you need time is that you can continue to buy yourself time with playoffs and things like that to really allow you to continue to gain that experience, you know, because you need, I think, 100, 150 games of seeing it all, losing big games, getting killed some games, killing someone some games, getting to play. Like, you need all that experience. And I, and I, I wasn't ready. 100% was not ready in, in, in some aspects. Wow. Thank you, Coach. Yeah, it seems like it's been a common theme. And, yeah, thank you so much for that. Oh, coach, um, you know, I look forward to the summer, not only for like, you know, the warm weather and stuff like that. I, I look forward to it because, you know, it's usually when clubs do a lot of transfers and, you know, that was the thunder. I'm sorry if you heard that. <laughs> I mean, Salt Lake isn't, isn't new to any of that. I mean, they recently signed um, Tony Datkovich and Jonathan Menendez. Um, you know, I'm curious when you're looking to recruit players into your team, what are some of the qualities you look for? You know, we have coaches who want players who, you know, are adaptable into different systems, who can play multiple positions, who, you know, show heart, show character, leadership. You know, what are some qualities you look forward to? First, being a good human being. Like, can I work with this guy? Can I deal with him on the everyday? Because if I'm going to give my heart and soul to the guy and serve him, I need some reciprocation. I need, I need you to bust your butt for me on the field. Like, don't take advantage of my kindness, you know? So, and it's hard in, in, in this time and day to, to because of COVID, that I wasn't able to go visit guys and all that. I was able to visit uh, Anderson 2019 at the end of the year and, and, and San Luis beat us to him, but I sat down with him, sat down with his father, knew his family. Like there was conversation over a meal where you get a good sense of someone. The, uh, the, the, the last batch, I wasn't able to do that. But so these meetings that we're having, like you and I are, you guys and, and myself are in, in right now, we're, are important right now. And that's the first thing I ask. I ask some questions of trying to get to know them, how they're going to respond to things. It's a new culture. What if you don't play? Then, okay, now it's the football. 
you know, you, I'm looking for this. Like I told you, I want to go forward first. And, and we all know speed hurts an opponent if you can go forward first. So I try to look for those things, but it's, it's, it's an aggressive attacker. If we're talking about an attacker, wants to get in behind, we'll give a, we'll do a movement to get in behind. And if he doesn't get it, we'll do that movement again seconds later. And if he doesn't get it, we'll do that movement again, but also wants a football at his feet. Also wants to, you know, get the ball and combine with players. Um, and a, a defender, we want to, a guy that's nasty first, who's a, a defender, a defender, a defender first, who prides himself in being a defender. Icing on the cake, can pass out the bat, can connect some passes, can launch a, 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 a ball and, and, you know, and, and connect with the forward, making a run. Like, but those are, those are some of the simplest things that I look at. But for me, number one is, is character. When you go back to some Manchester United talks or interviews that you've heard, I mean, they spend, I think, like six months on Chicharito in Guadalajara. They had a guy living there watching him, observing him at his trainings, uh, you know, where he was at a restaurant or whatever and seeing, are we bringing in the right guy for us? And we don't get to do that here. I don't know if other MLS teams do. We don't. We don't get to invest that time. I hope the football gets to that because these guys that you bring in, you want them to make a difference. They have to try to make a difference. And the best way is you really have to do your homework and, and the, the, the character test is the, the biggest part of the percentage of, of you, why you bring them in. And speaking on character, coach, I just wanted to hear your takes on something that the two Robbies, one of the former soccer players from this uh, NBC show, uh, spoke about Tuchel. And he said that the way that or, or the reason why he's successful is because uh, he has this fire in them. And it's kind of like a bit of a fear factor that kind of makes players be the best they can be on the field. Uh, so he's very demanding. What are your takes on that, uh, on that message? What do you believe the, the way coaches should be with its players? It's, I, you know, I think, I think it's, it's tough. I think he came into the right place at the right time. I've heard he was very tough at Dortmund, right? Um, even to the, like, even the players knew that they were the ones that moved the goals, took the goals down, all that. I think he went to PSG, a job that prepares you for any job because you're dealing with just stars. And he probably wasn't able to implement everything he'd like because he's got to cater to cracks, right? Like they, they, they probably don't want to do everything he wants to do. And then I think Chelsea just came at the right time from because from the readings I've done, I wasn't there, but the readings I've done was, was, was Lampard, what, you know, went, I think you guys probably read the same stuff I went, read was, didn't talk to his players for months. Some guys didn't know where they were at, all that. And maybe very like, he knows the Chelsea environment. Like you're gone if you're not playing. So maybe very stressed, maybe very hard on the players. And then all of a sudden Tuchel gets there and he's like the happy go guy and let's go. And, 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 and he's good to begin with, but you know, maybe they needed that, that change of mentality. So a lot of times you kind of get hired for the opposite of what's there. You have a guy's really tough. It seems like they always hire a guy that, okay, he's going to come in and chill the place out a little bit and, and then his soccer. Or if a guy is too relaxed, they always bring in a guy that needs to, hey, we need to get this thing back into shape. So, you know, you, that you get hired for, for, for qualities. And then I also think you get fired for those same qualities because they're probably like, it's, not, it's time for a different, a different mentality. So I, it's hard to say what works with what. I think it's just really... That's why the importance of culture for me is the biggest thing, like the culture being above the player and above everything. Like when you come here, this is how we do it here. 
And the coaches that we hire understand that. And the players that come in, this is what we do. You got to follow it, right? And I think that that outlasts anything else. And hey, coach, almost wrapping up soon. Uh, we promise. But we did want to ask you, and this is an easy question. You know, um, you told us you, of course, look up to like a Pep Guardiola and a Bruce Arena. I wanted to ask you, you know, what other people maybe in your life or coaches that you look for advice for yourself? And also just in regards to maybe anybody outside of soccer uh, who may be your support system or who have been your support system, you know, throughout your journey for, to academy to head coach and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I would say... Uh... One guy that I really um, looked as a mentor and as a, and a as a coach that I admired that didn't play the game and self-taught himself to pass and kick was a, a gentleman by the name of Manny um, Lagos. He was, um, I don't know if you guys have heard of him, Minnesota. He's an icon. His, Manny Lagos, his son, is working with Minnesota United, played in Columbus Crew and all that. But his dad was who recruited me to Minnesota. But he was a mathematician turned coach who basically kept us um, Minnesota soccer afloat in all those years. He ran camps, he developed everything to keep Minnesota thunder to, to stay as a professional team. Uh, and in that transition into Minnesota United, I, I just felt his demeanor, his honesty, his work ethic, and the student of the game to teach someone was second to none. For me, he didn't have to be a pro or any of that. It was just the knowledge when I listened to him talk and what he, it made sense and what he wanted to, to when he talked to you of whether you were going to play or not was very, this is very honest, right? So it's, he, he told you what you wanted to hear and told you sometimes what you didn't want to hear, but he told you. Um, that was on the soccer side. I think in my development, there was a Martin Vasquez who's right now at Houston Dynamo. He, uh, he, I looked at him as a mentor at, at, uh, at the academy. You know, he was a, someone that I quickly knew. He played in Mexico, played with MLS, played against them in his last years. He was at Orange County Zodiac. Then all of a sudden, uh, I, uh, I'm coaching under him and it's someone that coached MLS played, uh, coached at Bayern Munich coached with the national team in that current time when I was there, he was with, with Klinsman at the national team. And I was just like, I'm this close to this guy on the day-to-day working environment. And he's, co- he's coached at the highest level. And so I, I always looked at him and, and asked, and I know when I went to the Monarchs, I, they offered me the job and I, and I was like, you guys should be asking Martin, like, why are you asking me? I told Garth Lago and he's like, well, you want me to ask Martin? And I was like, it's, he's better than me. You know, like he's, he, he deserves it. He's the Academy director. And Martin's like, no, I told Garth, he should ask you. You're ready for it. Like that guy looked at as like someone wow. that would tell you on you're ready or you're not ready. And it took him probably like two and a half years before he let me actually run the whole session because he wanted to see if you're ready to, to do what we need with the kids, you know, at first, it was just, okay, you can get the passing. You can run this exercise. Took him a while where he finally go, hey, you, today I'm not going to do the 16s. You do the 16s. Or I'm not going to do the 18s. You do the 18s. And, and, and it's, it's someone that at times you probably like, ah, shit, man, coach doesn't let me do anything. But it was a guy that's like, well, you're not ready to do everything. You got to give yourself time. And it's, it, it taught me a lot. And that's someone the, that I, that's a very good mentor to me. The importance of process. I think that's essential. <laughs> yep. Very important thing in my life. Yeah, yeah, for sure, Coach. Oh, man, I, I've learned a lot so much in a, such a short time. This is a bit like a, like a funny question, mixed question. Look, you think of New York, you think Times Square, you think of California, you know, you think the Hollywood signs, celebs, you know, you think of Miami, you think of Miami Beach. You know, Utah seems to be a little bit, you know, under the radar, but you've been there, you know, 
you you know the atmosphere you know i'm sure our fans and you know me ronnie and christian we want to know what are some hidden gems in utah what's the soccer culture like you know yeah i would say you think of salt lake you think of outdoor living you show up and you're like everyone is like these mountains are spectacular that's number one the outdoor living Two, I mean, there's some very good, I mean, I, I would start if you came here, as far as foods are concerned and things like that, you would want to go get some street tacos. There's street tacos or street tacos, real, real tacos. And then, you, you know, the, the, the football environment, it's, it's, it's funny that you asked, there was those mines here, um, copper mines here that, that brought in a lot of immigrants to work them. So it's actually a diverse city. You have everything. You have Ecuadorians, you have Mexicans, you have Guatemalans, Hondureños, Brazil, like you have everything here. Um, and, and so then that's transformed to the soccer, right? There's soccer at every part that you're going through. There's futsal courts that the club has done a good job putting all over the city, not just in nice areas. We're talking about areas where the kids want to play with lights and they go in, RSL logo on them. You play futsal, pick up futsal. The football culture is amazing. The, the stadium for the most part is always full. You know, it has the, the people walking to the stadium. Um, you know, we'll, we'll get America and, and Santos coming in, I think July 4th and the tickets are going to be sold out. Like it's, it's, it's a football culture and, you know, and we're lucky to be in a culture where in a state where it's just jazz in Salt Lake city, uh, real Salt Lake. So it's, it's the people follow you and they care about it. And that's why we pride ourselves so much. And it hurts when you don't deliver a playoff or, 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 or achieve things for them because they, they care about the team. You know, they, every weekend, every time there's a game, you're going to get 15 plus, you know, and you want to you want to make those people happy. And, and, and uh, that's what we shoot for every day because the, the people care and follow the team. And coach, one of my last questions, uh, once again, thank you so much for, for everything. We, we learned so much about you and, and the game. Uh, I wanted to ask you, what do you enjoy the most about coaching? Being in a being in a team environment like it's it's you you I guess I come from a family where it's it was the, the family right like the family we we stuck together brother if my brother got in a fight he was probably gonna my other brother was gonna go it's like so I really caught on to the team like oh, the whole this is my team this is my group I pride myself in also like the underdog you know like we're from Las Cruces and we we're gonna go play Las Cruces New Mexico with a bunch of freaking kids have like the bad news bears going and playing the team that has the English coach that they pay, you know, whatever amount of money to coach them. Like that's always been my life, like trying to push through and being the underdog. And, and I think that is a big part of like love coaching. Like what can we achieve as a whole? What can we do as a whole? You know, can we all work towards the same goal? Can we care about each other in the same goal? And I think that's, that's the biggest thing. You know, I'm not a big, it's funny because I'm not a big like social life guy and, and the party and, I, and, and all my high school friends, but in the team setting, I love the team. Like I love to be around the team. I love to play. It's nerve wracking and you get nervous before games and all that, but you love being around the team and seeing what they can achieve and the work that they can do. Uh, coach, thank you so much. And coach, I think this is the last question. Um, kind of, we made it an easy one. Uh, but we know right now with COVID and, you know, I believe uh, the Vancouver Whitecaps, are, I believe, are sharing your your stadium or your maybe your training facilities. I wanted to ask you, how's that been for you? Has it been weird, you know, having another team, seeing another coach, other training staff? Um, what's that been like for you these past couple months, I guess, since uh, training? No, we're, we're, uh, it's a good question, but we're, we're lucky. We're, we're fortunate enough 
I mean, we do share the stadium, uh, but we're, we're in Harriman, Utah, where our training facility is. It's just us. Uh, Vancouver Whitecaps are training. They're, they're based out of the stadium, Rio Tinto, but their training field is our old training field where the, and also where the Utah Royals trained last year. So we don't see them. Ah, okay. Yeah, we don't see them unless, like, uh, we'll play. When we play them, we'll, we'll train there the day before the game, right? So that's when you kind of run into guys. And I know Marcos DeSantos and his staff, and I, I, I like the guy and care about the guy and want him to do well. So it's, I, in that, I kind of already had that relationship with them for the past couple of years. So just, just nothing but rooting for them. And, and when I see them, it's all good luck to them, except when they play us. <laughs> Uh, coach, yeah, no, we definitely had Coach Marto Santos uh, two episodes ago. Great guy. He, we were talking about, you know, his experiences uh, coaching in Brazil, Palmeiras, and all that stuff. So great guy. And coach, we want to say a huge thank you to you um, for giving us your time. You could be doing a million other things right now, but thank you for letting us learn from you. Uh, Christian always loves talking to head coaches, and you know, we're just so thankful for your time. And uh, we wish you all the best this season coming up. Awesome. Thank you guys for having me. It's a cool experience. All right, guys, that was the interview with Coach Freddie Juarez. What a coach, what an interview. Coach Freddie, thank you so much for being on with us. Christian, my guy, got to go to you, man. What you think? I mean, apart from the street tacos, I got to say it was lovely to pick his brain on the formations when he talked about uh, references of play and formations. I think uh, I, I'm just going to keep listening to this episode over and over again. And really got a chance to learn a lot about his mind and the way he thinks the tactical side the emotional side as well being able to deal with players he said something along the lines about you know before i i take a player to my team i have a i have lunch with them and see how they react i think that's very important because you got to bring the right people to your team so th that was very lovely to hear thank you so much for that coach freddy all right and guys we got to get out of here Eric, I'll start off with you, man. Episode 30. I'm so glad you've been part of half of them, I think, at this point. But yeah, man, happy belated, and let's get out of here, man. Oh, man, listen, thank you. Thank you to all the fans. Thank you for all the love. You know, episode 30, I hope we go for another 30, another, I don't know, 100, <laughs> another 200, man. Oh, man, we'll run out of soccer, uh, you know, soccer players with soccer jerseys. But you know what? I don't <laughs> care, man. We'll start throwing out the stats. But no, listen, thanks to all the fans, and I really hope you enjoyed today's episode. And our boy, Hugh, we haven't heard from you in a while. Take us home, man. <laughs> yes, I'm so glad to be back on the show. Thanks to everyone who, thank you to, to Boss and to, to Kayo. Thank you, everyone who made sure to help out and is, is still always around us on the show. Because if you guys hadn't been here, I would have felt much, much worse about, uh, <laughs> about not being able to make recordings. Thank you guys so much. <laughs> like Eric said in chat, taking us home, uh, no. Uh, I am not. I am not taking anything home. Uh, <laughs> if I could take something somewhere, I would take it to Rome. Um, yeah. Thank you all for listening. Make sure to check us out on our social medias at Soccer Subs Podcast. That's Instagram and Twitter as well. Uh, we've also recently posted something on our YouTube channel where we got to speak to both Kyle Duncan and Tim Weah uh, on an event. Uh, we will be, you know, if you guys like that kind of stuff, make sure to let us know because we can then record more and post more in-person live content. Uh, we, hopefully we've got a, we've got a, a, a decent sized surprise, if I'm allowed to say that, uh, coming up for you guys in the future. I won't spoil what it is yet, but I think you guys will enjoy it, especially if you're enjoying what's going on right now. Uh, so thank you all for another episode, 30 episodes. If we triple this number 
if we quadruple this number, we get the amount of years that have passed since Tottenham last won the league. Um, <laughs> sorry, sorry, Harry Kane. I really haven't been nice to you. Today, but... Oh man, uh, thank you so much to everyone for listening. Like, like I said, this is our family. This is soccer for everyone, and everyone who gets the chance to listen to this, uh, please let us know what you like, what you don't like. I can shut up for more than a minute. It's okay. Uh, I'm still gonna cheer for Messi. He's still gonna be number one. But what a lovely way to do this with Eric, Ronnie, Baby Hugh, and uh, a lot of greetings, a lot of hellos to uh, Hugh's family. They're always supporting us. So thank you to them and uh, thank you to everyone. And as for me, a huge thank you to Coach Freddie. I keep saying it over and over again, but probably one of the best interviews we keep doing. We keep every every interview, every episode, we take it up a notch. So, again, thank you to the fans, to the supporters for tuning in, for the plays, for the interaction on Instagram, on the comments, the DMs. Uh, let us know what you love, you know, what you're not feeling. But uh, you guys keep us going 100%. So thank you guys for that. We'll be back for episode 31. We're in our 30s now. So uh, we're, we're definitely getting some good guests coming up soon. Stay tuned for that. And yeah, guys, we'll see you guys next week. And I can't believe, you know, we got the Gold Cup coming up, uh, some good stuff coming up. And uh, yeah, if anything, we'll keep you guys updated on, on our Instagram, on what we're recording. And thank you guys again for everything. And we'll see you soon.